Welcome to the Three Old Goalies Podcast. I'm Ryan Sparks. I'm excited to be here tonight. Um, we are excited to welcome special guest Van Taylor to the show with EV and Bone. Gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the show. I will see you guys on the flip side. Sounds great. Well, uh, Greg, you doing okay tonight? I am, EV. Um, I am so excited to do this with Van. There was so much stuff. Yes, uh, that I yes. have found out, Ev, that is just mind blowing at times. Uh, I will tell you the the word legend is sometimes thrown around too easily, but in Van Taylor's case, it it can't be stressed enough. The man the man is a goalkeeping legend, and I got to thank Ralph Lundy for uh, you know when Ralph was communicating with us with uh, getting up about going up to Warren Wilson for Hank's thing. You know, he's like, have you guys had Van Taylor on yet? And, you know, suddenly a light bulb went off in my head. He said, you really should have Van on there because he's a he's a goalkeeping pioneer legend. And I said, yes, you are 100% correct, and we're going to do that. And uh, we're thrilled to have uh, Van Taylor with us who has – if you're if you're a goalkeeper and uh, you're of our era, Greg, and, and this was a guy that everybody looked up to. And um, – uh, particularly me, and I'll tell a little story about that at the end of the at the end of the show. But uh, we're thrilled to have him with us, and um, we're we're thankful that uh, he was willing to stay up late at night to, <laughs> to, to join Three O Goalies Late Night, which is our latest broadcast ever. So, but Van, thanks very much for taking the time to be with us. It's it's it truly is an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Let me take uh, the time to also congratulate you. I know you wouldn't mention it on your own show, but uh, I'm being inducted into your uh, College Hall of Fame at uh, Warren Wilson. So well-deserved and uh, congratulations on it. Thanks very much. It was, it was, it was good fun. It was, it was actually it worked out, you know, some things just fall into place and, and to have the, you know, to have Hank's naming ceremony and that to go in at the same time as Roland, it was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks. Well, it was 50 years ago. I'm thinking back of those indoor soccer tournaments we had yeah. Carl Wilson. Yeah. Leaving on the floor and playing at, at 1 in the morning and 2 in the morning and, and yeah. having to get up and play early again. But great, great memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, usually what we do with the with the, with the the podcast, man, is we sort of turn it over to Greg, who, who does the we, – we like to call him the Mike Wallace of soccer. And uh, he does sort of the, the background and the interview and everything and – um, we, you know, I'll, I'll jump in with little snippets or if something comes up that I have a question about, I'll jump in. But, uh, uh, Greg, Greg is generally the interviewer and, um, with, without further ado, we'll get going. Greg, I'll turn it over to you. All right. Thank you. All right, Van. So I usually dig into the people's past, which is always some good stories. So, you know, hopefully you are going to share some of these incredible stories that I find fascinating and definitely want to hear more of. So, well, the ones um, I can share. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just a little, just a little shout out first to uh, the squad. EV, oh, yes. Uh, yep. So Pat Johnson, I hope you uh, are going to be happy with this new stuff that you're uh, going to hear and see. So uh, again, the squad with a W that's S Q W A D. Because everybody loves a W. <laughs> and off we go. All right. So, Van, you know, tell me how you were born in Portsmouth, Ohio. How did you end up in New Jersey? 
my dad was in the moving industry. He was um, vice president for um, Global Van Lines for 35 years. And uh, so he was transferred to New York, New York City. And so we moved to North New Jersey, a small town called North Caldwell, about 12 miles outside of Manhattan. A little bit about North Caldwell, three, three trivia questions, three trivia. Um, the Unabomber, one of those explosions that took place in North Caldwell. Okay. Um, the Sopranos, uh, the producer is from our high school, West Essex High School, and it was broadcast and filmed in North Caldwell. And if you know the name Joe Piscopo of Saturday yeah. Night Live, Joe yeah. was my, one of my teammates on our high school uh, uh, soccer team. And was so he really? He, you know, wow. He's a, he's a, year, a couple years older than I. Yeah. That's cool. Whoa. That's that is cool. cool. That is really cool. All right, so you, you mentioned West Essex, West Essex High School in New Jersey. Um, there you were a Parade All-American. And, you know, Evie, is funny. Do you even remember the Parade All-Americans? Because now, you know, it's sponsored by somebody else and you really don't. Oh, yeah, really, absolutely. You know, it yeah. is incredible. If you made that, you were like, whoa, the man. Yeah, yeah well, you were top, top man. Yeah. So um, you won a state championship there. Um, I believe your senior year is that yeah yeah um, you you beat a big town rival Kearney High School and if our listeners don't know Kearney High School is a is well it was I don't know if it still is a hotbed of producing um, uh, talent um, that a lot of players went on to uh, be very successful I think two that come to my mind would be obviously John Harks and I think Tony Miola. Um, you ended up beating uh, Hale Township for the state championship. What do you remember from that journey, you know, starting the season to the end? Well, first of all, our legendary coach, and he's passed away, was Ralph Dugan. And Ralph was from Harrison, New Jersey, which is the big rival with Kearney. And that year we beat um, in the semifinals Kearney, and they had a player, and you'll know the name, Santiago Formosa, who went on <laughs> to play for the New York Cosmos. And we beat them uh, – on a late goal. Um, and then we went into the final and beat Hal Township and Hal had a couple really good players. I remember that day because it was the, the day after Thanksgiving on that Friday and it was bone cold. And, um, you know, and playing in the sticks with that freezing cold was, was tough, but we won that game one zero. And you talk about the parade magazine. Um, we had a player, Mike Giapapa, um, and there's an award in New Jersey called the Freddie Cognance Award. It's kind of like the Heisman Trophy. It's the best high school soccer player of all divisions. And Mike, one of our, my teammate, who scored the winning goal in the state championship, went on to play at Penn State for Walt Barr. He was the uh, the best player voted in the state of New Jersey in 1970, uh, that, that fall season. Wow. Whoa. Okay. So who, you know, this is a funny story that people don't understand. You know, you, you quote unquote, ended up at Erskine, but that was not your first choice. So who actually no. was doing some, who was doing some of the recruiting, you know, uh, to you back then? And we'll get into the, you know, where you really wanted to go. But I want to know, like, who was knocking on your door to, you know, uh, recruit you at that time? Well, at that time, Clemson was really not that well known as far as soccer. And they were getting into the, uh, the, other, the upper levels. But I ended up deciding to go to Davis and Elkins to play for Greg Myers. The summer... I was in Germany and my youth coach, Manfred Schellscheid, and we'll talk a lot about Manny in a bit, I'm sure, took us to Germany for a month. While I was over there, my dad said, hey, Greg is leaving 
Davis and Elkins to go to FIU, which at that time was one of the only finishing two-year schools. You have the two-year junior, yeah, right. two-year finishing. And he just said, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. I suggest there's a school called Erskine. Um, and and Daryl Saunders was leaving AB. Alderson brought us to take over that, that job. Well, my dad, my dad goes down there and looks at the school. He said, oh, man, you're going to love it. So we get there. And I'm there three days, and I call my dad. I said, Dad, there is no way I can stay in Due West, South Carolina for four years. And he said, Van, you cannot make that decision after three days. And I said, Dad, I could have made that after three hours. <laughs> and he said, you give it a semester. You come home from Christmas. We'll talk about it. And I never looked back. I had four great years there. We went to the national tournament four years in a row. Um, we finished fourth twice in the nation. Um had great teams and um, got a great education. Met my wife there. Another bonus along the way. And uh, I'm real grateful for that opportunity. And as things turned out, I ended up playing for Greg anyway, my first year professionally with the, um, the Miami Toros, because he then left FIU to become the head coach in 1975. He coached there two years and I played for him in uh, 76. And then, you know, his story went on and had a, a great another college career at um at um, the Naval Academy. Right, right. So let, let's let's talk a little bit about your career at Erskine. And, you know, uh, your sophomore year, you were third-team All-American. Your senior year, you were an All-American. You went to the Final Four. What do you remember about that time? Because, again, people forget that you're playing – everybody in the country can play for this tournament. Yeah, well, back then, obviously, with the NAIA, we were, we were part of the NAI then, but um... – you know, there's a name that comes to mind, Charlie McGinty, and Charlie recently passed away last year. Another Carney player, originally uh, born in Scotland, uh, and he at that time had scored I don't know 100, and I don't know how many goals, and it was the leading goal scorer in the nation of all divisions. Well, there was there was only NCA and then and then AI. I think the Division Two came in around 1980, and obviously later Division Three. But Charlie was a phenomenal player and um, played at Miami-Dade, and my freshman year, he was a senior. And we had other great players, Bert Passos, a Brazilian kid, um, had, had a, a mix between Americans and, and internationals on the team. Daryl did a good job of, you know, uh, combining that. And uh, But we had a great mix. Uh, Ali Rajaman was a player from Iran. He was a very good player for us. Uh, we, we had um, some very good players. Um, but I, I would say that first year um, with McGinty and Kiki Ojeda, uh, Ojeda was another player who played at Miami Dade, Ralph Marola, uh, you know, Romero. I, I can't think of all that. Arturo Suarez. Uh, we had some, some really good quality players and had a great team. Yeah. Um, but I was going to add, you know, back then Miami Dade was a power, you know, and if you remember EV, they had, there was, uh, I believe Miami Dade North and South and mm -hmm. they were producing players, um, every single year yeah. yeah yeah you know obviously fiu benefited from it because of the localness but um as van's alluding to you know schools in the south that were starting were definitely doing a lot of recruiting down there i remember yeah yeah and then you, so, you mentioned you mentioned rick wright earlier who's the assistant at the uh, uh greenville triumph in the usl one league and um, he followed me and so you know, you had Mike Cortez Velez was another player. He played with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Yeah. He's another Erskine grad. 
Yeah. So there, there was a number of players that came out of Erskine that went on to play at, at the next level. Yeah. Uh, obviously a very stellar career. And um, in case our listeners don't know, he was inducted to the Erskine College Athletic Hall of Fame in 1982. So um, what a very nice honor. So let's talk a little bit about um, the pro game, you know, and let's sort of set the, the landscape back then. You know, the the North American Soccer League um, was just getting started then. And, um, you know, it was around, it started in 1968, it folded in 1984. So you're sort of at the tail end of this, but you were the number, you were in the, the New York Cosmos in 1975 drafted you in the first round. And that's when Pele was there. So first, what, describe the feeling, like how they even found out about you. What was your reaction? Um, you know, and I'll get into the Toros and the strikers as, you know, we progress here. Well, I, I always had the aspiration to play at the next level. So so I was working towards that. And when, and when I got that uh, call that I was going to be drafted by the Cosmos, I was, what an honor. I mean, you know, at that time, obviously, Pelé had not – he had just come. I think his first year was in 75. Right. And so um, I was there for a short period of time, just weeks uh, before I got moved to, to Miami and um, and then really began my career there. And then the first year in Miami, um, it was a mixed um, uh, Bill Nuttall. And we all know uh, uh, Bill and a uh, good friend and teammate. And we just, you know, he was the first keeper having come off the year before. And we, we kind of switched around and I played a little bit. He played a little bit. But um, it was a great opportunity first year to get at least get some playing time. I played in, you know, probably half the games that first year. Um and then having then playing against Pelé uh, in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, you're getting ahead of us, but uh, that's all right. So let, let's talk about first, why did you get traded? What did they tell you? I mean, first, you got to feel like you're, you know, it's just an incredible feeling. You get drafted by the Cosmos and then, boom, you're traded. So how did that transpire? You know, I look back on that. Um, I really didn't perform that well in, in the training sessions. Um we get up there and it was, uh, I know I was up there for, for about a week and it, it just, you know, rained every day and it wasn't a, the best for me and I didn't perform very well. And Gordon Bradley was so nice and gracious, um, you know, and he was up front with me and just, you know, yeah, we drafted you, but, you know, and it was, and it was a trial basis. And I just, I'll be quite honest at that point, probably didn't play to, to my ability. And, um, you know, the opportunity was to move me and at least give me that opportunity. And again, Yes, I would love to have played for the Cosmos, but getting the opportunity to play in Miami, I was grateful for that. Yeah. So you get traded in 1977 to the Toros, and you end up being runner-up uh, for the Rookie of the Year. Um, what is going through your head? Because, you know, 12 months ago you're sitting, and all of a sudden now you're playing every game. And what, you know, a performance, as you, you know, said you lacked, and now you turned it on. Well, you know, it's interesting, um, and, I, and, you, and you just clicked my memory. I debuted on my birthday, May 16th, and it was um, against Seattle, and they had Jeff Hurst, who played in the 66 World Cup. Um, I think they had Harry Redknapp. They had other players, and, and we won 1-0. I remember Cliff Marshall scored the goal, and it was at um, FIU at the, at the Tamiami Stadium. And so that was my debut, and I remember that. But to think about, you know, I, um, Bobby Moore that year played with uh, San Antonio, had the chance to play against him. Um, you think of, obviously, Pelé, 
with the New York Cosmos. Uh, you think of the, the pedigree of players. You know, that'd be like playing today against, you know, the Messis and the Ronaldos and all that, certainly at the end of their career. But um, what, what a great uh, opportunity that I, you know, yeah. to be able to play at that level. So talk a little bit about, because I was absolutely stunned. You, you play in Yankee Stadium and you're playing against Pele. So give us sort of the lead up to that game, knowing that you're going to play against the Cosmos. And Evie, I don't know if you remember, some of the attendances for the NASL were just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I remember my high school year taking a road trip up to uh, uh, Boston, but we stopped at Giant Stadium in July to watch the Cosmos. I think it was the Strikers or the team in. 77,000 people. That, I mean, that was in 77. Yeah, and that, that was the year after this game you're talking about. Yeah, and, right. and I was on the bench that day. Gordon Banks was in goal. It was a playoff game, and at that time was the largest crowd in the U.S. It was 77 yeah. or 8,000. Uh, we got hammered that day, but um, I remember that very distinctly because I walked in this, out in, from the tunnel into the stadium, and it was electric. I mean, that, and that was Giant Stadium. Yeah. Right. The, the, yeah. What we're talking about earlier, that was that game was played in, in, in Yankees. Right. State. So what was your feeling? Because you're dealing with, you know, the obviously dirt and grass because it's a baseball stadium. So, again, knowing the site that you got to get ready for that and this play, share with us what is going through your head. Well, with a lot of excitement, just the opportunity to be able to play, um, you know, against the, which is regarded as, you know, the greatest player to play. Certainly at that time. I know today people would have different opinions about, you know, the, the play, the, the more uh, contemporary players. But uh, I remember distinctly early in the match, I came out on a one-on-one with Canalia, Chinalia. And back then, you know, sometimes they wore shin guards, sometimes they didn't. And I just, I, not purposefully, but I caught him with my cleat and they put him to the sideline and they were stitching up his, and, you know, I'm saying to myself, you know, I, I didn't, wasn't trying to hurt him, but I was kind of glad he was, you know, out of the match for a while. <laughs> he came back to score a couple goals and obviously, and I know you'll get to the, uh, the bicycle kick cause everybody always remembers that one. I'll let you get into that. Yeah. I, yeah, I knew you would remind me of that. <laughs> you know, a funny story about that. Um, fast forward that that's 76 and, um, it's 19, 1990. So 14 years, whatever later, Pelé is unveiling a product line with, um, Umbro and we're at the, um, us, uh, um, the coaches convention. And um, I'm there with Tom Mulroy, who played in that game also, my teammate. And they're showing that that bicycle kick. And that I and, and that was the first time I saw it. I kiddingly said to Tom, yeah, obviously I didn't see it on the day either. But <laughs> when I saw the video, Tommy pulls out of the tackle. I mean, he could have stayed in there and took one for the team. And I shouldn't have said it because if you know Tommy Mulroy, he's really quick with <laughs> He says, well, I pulled out because I heard the goalkeeper say I got it. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was it was a great opportunity to play in that game. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, the story on that, Myers used to tell us a story at camps when I was doing camps. And I guess he had told Tommy before the match, you got you got the big guy. You got play. You go everywhere he goes. Right. You, you're, you're, we're, we're marking him, you know. Tight as you know, we're gonna play ten v ten basically. Try to play ten v ten, and um, and but uh, I had not heard, <laughs> I had not heard this story about how I thought Ben called it. 
That's good. <laughs> Tommy's Tommy has Pelé's jersey, you know, from the game. Yeah. And he's got it, you know, hermetically sealed in a <laughs> and um for for a keepsake. Got it signed and everything. Yeah, that that's a great, great uh memorabilia for sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> 77 you're with the strikers. Again, how do you end up there? Um and as you just alluded to, you are gonna be backing up Gordon Banks. The well, the, the owner of the Miami Toros was um, Joe Robbie and his wife, Elizabeth. And he moved the team. The Miami Toros just morphed into becoming the Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale Strikers. So he moved from Miami to Broward County, changed the name. So it was the same owner. And uh, we, we played at a Lockhart Stadium there. And um, Ron Newman then became the coach. And, that's, and then, you know, Greg moved on to um, the Naval Academy. And uh, Ron uh, obviously brought in Gordon Banks. And as you know, um, Gordon had um, he was injured in a match on, on a week uh, on the weekend and the next day he was going to get treatment. And it was a rainy day and he was in a car accident and he lost um, his eye, uh, one of the vision in one of his eyes. And the English FA would not um, insure him, but the NASL would. So Gordon brought him. Um, uh, Ron Newman brought him over and, and he played uh, in the 1977 season. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And. I learned so much and we roomed together on the road and, you know, I can remember him. He was so uh, kind and to, you know, help me and mentor me along the way. I learned to cross a ball because after every practice, he wanted to take crosses and we'd have a bag of balls and I would just hit crosses after cross. He loved it. Um, there were, he taught me, you know, he, he would make saves look so easy. And here I am flopping around making these saves and, he just he, he taught me how to be, be more angles and uh, be more relaxed. And, and so I learned a, a lot that year. I didn't play a single minute in the league, but I played all the reserve games. And I was thankful that we had those reserve games. Um, Lazio of Italy, uh, Bolton Wanderers, Haitian national team, whatever the case may be. And so I got a lot of playing time and experience, but I didn't get it, get to play in the league. Gordon played every minute of every game and had and he was the top goalkeeper in the league that year. And, um, you know, I remember on plane flights with napkins doing X's and O's and, um, you know, and roommates, you know, talking about the game. And so he was all the time mentoring me along the way. And I'm, I'm real grateful for that. Yeah. <clears throat> what just what a story there, Evie, right? I mean, Gordon Banks, Pele, my gosh. Well, what, what, what more can we say, right? Here, here's another here's another story. And I've told this to many people, but uh we were doing, we were, you know, I was still in college when Van and, and, and I call him Mr. Banks. Van <laughs> and Mr. Banks were, were Banksy. at the street. Yeah, we're at the street. we call them. Yeah. And um, so we're down in St. Andrews, Florida doing a, doing a camp. And Hank comes in and says, Hey, Van's arranged for you to go train with them and play in a reserve game, you know? And so I'm like, really? You know, I mean, you know, here's goofy, goofy, tall idiot from New Hampshire, you know, he's on the camp circuit. And the next thing I know, I'm down there training with Van and Gordon Banks and I get to play in a reserve game and Gordon was playing in midfield. And it was just, it was, well, and I've said this many times, it was like training with God, you know, if you were a goalkeeper, you know, it was just, you know, it was just, it was the highlight of my soccer career by far. And, and you gotta you gotta remember he was um I'm gonna say 38 at the time. Yes, you know, I'm I'm yes. 23, 24 years old, he's 38. We would run in the preseason 
from one pier to the other, you know, in, in Fort Lauderdale on the beach. And he was as fitted or fitter than anybody on the team. I mean, he was very, very fit, looked after himself. And um, even even with that um, handicap with one, one eye, he had a phenomenal season. Phenomenal yeah. year. Amazing. That is. People forget <clears throat> that Joe Robbie Stadium now is the Hard Rock Casino, you know, back you know joe robbie had a stadium named after him um and uh now it's called the hard rock casino so interesting how uh things come around um so what happens in 78 though because you go from the backup to a new league the american soccer league you end up with the new york eagles um what's the trans you know the transformation there because nasl is like the league but now you're going to go play you know, with the New York Eagles, which appears to be a step down. You know, that probably was the most interesting season. Um, the following year, I moved to Columbus with the Columbus Magic and played two years there, 79 and 8. In the ASL, we were in the ASL final that one year. We played the Sacramento Gold and we lost there. But the New York Eagles was probably my most interesting uh, season of playing. Um, our coach that year was Dragon Shekeladis. Uh, Shecky played for Belgrade Red Star and probably is the most famous player to, to come out of there and just phenomenal. It was, um, it was owned by, um, I'm going to say uh, Serbian, maybe even Albanian ownership then. And uh, we played out of um, Mount Vernon Stadium. Tommy Mulroy was on that team with us. Um, Jeff Tipping was another one was on our team. Everybody knows Jeff from, you know, the uh, coaching schools. And um, it was not, a, it was, and um, Hervé Gilliard was another player, if you remember Hervé. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we had a pretty good team, but the, the ownership, they just couldn't make it sustainable. And it only lasts for that one year, maybe even the following year. And then I moved on to the Columbus Magic the following year in 79 and 8. But um, yeah, that was, that was a, a probably a one year uh, franchise, maybe, maybe a, a couple years there. Now, I'm going to refer to, the landscape again, because, you know, the MISL, which is the major indoor soccer league is also, you know, getting huge crowds back then. And you somehow go from Columbus outdoor to the Baltimore blast. And now you're indoors, you're on an expansion team, but you only play six games. Well, there, you know, that, that old saying, um, I had more clubs than Arnold Palmer. Um, <laughs> what happened was, um, you know, with the Columbus Magic, it was folding. Um, it was owned by um, Ted Celeste, who was uh, lieutenant governor of the state of Ohio, and I, I believe his brother. We played at a Franklin County Stadium, which is the, the, the Clippers played there, which was the, uh, the Yankees AAA farm team. And uh, so with that folding, the opportunity came and, and Kenny Cooper was the coach there. And as you said, um, it was a inaugural season franchise and, um, and oh, electric crowds there with Baltimore. They had great support. Um, and um, Sepp Gettenheimer was, was the first team keeper there and I played a little bit. But yeah, after six game, Kenny um, traded me to, to Phoenix. Interesting, my wife was finishing up um, a degree at Ohio State and so she finishes it and gets a job in Baltimore and is on the job two weeks and I get traded. So she had to give it her two weeks. She was not a happy camper. 
Um, and she's still with me 47 years later. But um, and then I got traded to Phoenix and and it, um, the Phoenix Inferno, and it was um, a great opportunity. And I got a chance to play there, and I played regular. And and then after four years there, the, the franchise ownership changed from the Inferno to the Pride, the Phoenix Pride. Same franchise, just the you know new owners and changed the name. And then the year after that, the, the team folded. And so after 10 right. years, and I don't want to fast forward your, your program, but, and then I moved into the college ranks of coaching, but yeah, had, right. had, I really enjoyed the four and a half, five years in Phoenix. It was great. Yeah. Share with us. I don't think people really realize, and I just talked a little bit about it. The fan base, I mean, St. Louis was averaging like 20,000, um, you know, Manny Schwartz, Slobo, Glavin. I mean, it was like the U.S. national team was there. Ty Keogh, um, Dan Ebert. I mean, it was unbelievable. What was Steve your Petra, experience Steve was another one on Because they're right on top of you now, you know. And there's music well, actually, there and things like that. Yeah, and, and, the, and they're getting paid pretty good money, you know. And the, and the steamers are out. The steamers are out. And the steamers are outdrawing the blues on a regular basis. At the checker right. dome, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're yeah, they're outdrawing they're, you know, they put the turf down over the ice and they're outdrawing the blues, which had and been they had there. Another for Jersey a long player time. there, Tony Bellinger played for that yes. along with yes, uh, exactly. Petcher, That's Steve right. Petcher, who you know yep. played in the and they, they were great and Slobo and Goal, they were formidable. But yeah. Uh, and they were in our division, so we played them pretty often. But yeah. Great, great, and the crowd, and the Phoenix Inferno got great crowds. You know, we 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 shared um, the arena with the uh, the Phoenix Suns, so you know we played um, our matches there, and and we had good crowds. But yeah, St. Louis and the Steam, um, Kansas City Comets. Yeah, that was another mm -hmm. one, a new franchise, and they got big crowds there too, for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Funny story, Ev. So Rick Ben Ben was the coach back then, and. Um, for you listeners, I think you'll be amazed. So I was drafted by the steamers, had my cup of coffee there. Um, and with, and with Ben, Ben and, um, his son's in the business EV. He's a retailer in, uh, Kansas city. And he was at the convention last year. Oh, cool. And, um, I went up to him and I said, you probably don't remember me, but I was, you cut me after about a week. <laughs> he just started <laughs> laughing, you know? So, you know, were you surprised like cities like, you know, Wichita, just like those crowds were crazy as well, you know? So what was, what was your take when you were traveling? Like, Oh my God, these, these games are just going to be, you know, 10,000 people, you know, every game, you know, it's going to be hard to communicate obviously in a limited space with people, you know, screaming. Well, Wichita was a different uh, type of stadium. That was, it was smaller and yet always sold out. So you weren't in the big checker dome with 20,000. You might be in this little barn with 10,000, but the atmosphere was unbelievable. I remember we got snowed in in Wichita on Christmas Eve. We were played on a Friday and Christmas was the next day and we got snowed in there and never got out till the following day. Um, but, um, you know, people, someone, someone asked me recently, boy, you got to do all this traveling, you know, you're in New York and you're here. They don't realize, as, as you know, you fly in, you go to the hotel, you play the game, and you're out. It's not like you're there for a week. Um, our four-game road trip when I was in Fort Lauderdale, we, we flew to um, – we left Fort Lauderdale. We played in Los Angeles, 
Then we went to Hawaii, the one year they had Team Hawaii. So everyone thinks, oh, you got to go to Honolulu. And yeah, we just flew in and played. The third game was in Vancouver. And the last game was in Las Vegas. It was a 10-game, a 10-day road trip, four games. And um, I remember Coach Newman, Ron Newman, saying to us, gave us the itinerary. And back then they had the collective bargaining. They gave you your per diem and a pregame meal. And he said, no training. No curfews, just show up for the game. And we won all four games on the trot. <laughs> all four games on the trot. Now, we didn't have a whole lot of money left when we got to Las Vegas, but um, we had uh, – and, yeah, the team, we just had a great team that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Ray Hudson, uh, oh. Ray Lug, uh, just some really quality players. Gordon, obviously, in goal. Um, Tony Whalen, um, just some, some really uh, – it was a great team. Yeah. So how do you end up in coaching? Because, you know, most people think you would go right back to Erskine, and I don't want to tell them yet where you end up, but, like, how did you end up at Lander University? Well, my wife's from Greenville, South Carolina, which is in between Lander and where Erskine is, and uh, we were home for the holiday. And um, my brother-in-law called me and said, hey, I saw something in the paper. Um, they have a program at Lander, but they don't have a full-time coach, and they're wanting to – you know, raise the level and make a commitment to hiring a full-time coach. And just, and I, I, I knew I wanted at some point to get into coaching while I was playing, I had gotten my B license. So I took, I did that one summer and I coached two years in the off season in Phoenix at a high school, uh, Chaparral high school. And so I knew I wanted to get into coaching. So a funny story. I, I call the office on Christmas Eve at Lander Hope, thinking I'm going to leave a message. And the athletic director answered the, co- the phone. It was Finest Horn. That was his name. And Coach Horn said, hey, call me after Christmas and, and we'll talk. So I went down and met with him. And then I went back to Phoenix. We're playing. And at some point he said, um, you know, I'd like you to come back again if you can. And I did. And um, the rest is history. They offered me the job. And um, I became the first full-time coach and had little little scholarship and small budget but um um, major win bill win was the first the first coach there and he um was in the national uh excuse me in rotc and was being transferred and he handed me the program um perfectly in terms of the players he had everything was organized so he he set me up for success and i'm I'm grateful for that and took the program and began to build it I, i coached there for 30 years retired in 2015 and then the last seven years, I've been involved in athletic development with the university uh, athletic department, raising money for um, athletic scholarships, uh, facility improvements, student athlete enhancement, special projects, that kind of thing. So <laughs> you jumped ahead, but that's all right. So share with us, you know, your 10 seasons as a professional and all of a sudden you switch the light. Was that a hard adjustment going to, you know, a, a program that was you know limited? in in the funding now evie we have you know a lot of people on this show but you know you mentioned 30 years 390 wins yeah unbelievable unbelievable so share with us that transition because you know one year you're playing next year you're not what was that like well as i said i you know i took the coaching schools you know I, i went and got the b license and then i did get the a license so i knew i wanted to get in coaching I had an opportunity actually to, to get into coaching, to be a goalkeeper coach. And I did not want to get pegged to be just a goalkeeper. I wanted to be a coach. 
And so I, I got into coaching and I really, be honest with you, I put goalkeeping to the side. Um, I'm, I'll get, I don't want to get ahead, but I'm back to my first love again. But what happened was I just focused on the coaching aspect first, not just goalkeeping. And um, we just had, uh, you know, I, I, my first year I brought five players out from Phoenix because I was out there uh, from Chaparral and some from, from the other schools. And uh, we had a great first year. Uh, we went to the finals. We lost, but uh, lost to Erskine, actually, in the, in the final that year in 85. And they just begin to build it. And then, as you know, um, players recruit for you. Um, I got had a player from Trinidad, and they recruited another player. And uh, we, we had two players that played in the, in the World Cup qualifier when the U.S., um, I think it was Caligari scored the goal in Trinidad. Yes. It was the right. last game of qualification. Trinidad right. only had to tie to qualify for the, for the 90 World Cup. I had two players, uh, Maurice Allaby, one of them, who left the team and was with and flew back home to Trinidad and, and played in that game. Um, oh, wow! So we had some some quality players from from that era, and then um, you know that pipeline dried up, and the next thing you know, I had a few players from Scandinavia. Ended up having four or five from Finland, and once again they recruited. And then the last few years, I mostly had some you know Northern Europeans and, and some English players. Mixed with Americans, so it wasn't all international. It was it was a mixed bag, and uh, and we just said, you know, obviously uh, it's all about recruiting. It's, and they say real estate, real estate, real, you know, it's it's recruiting, 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 and oftentimes the players recruited for us. You know, hey coach, I got a teammate that I think would be a good fit for us, and that. But um, had great teams because we had great players. Yeah, no obviously numerous numerous conference titles, um, coach of the year awards. Um, I want to know, you know, in that era, because, you know, you were coached in the NAIA and then Lander also now is in Division Two, and you were part of that transition. What was the recruiting like? Uh, I mean, was it that much different or, you know, a lot of people always compare NAIA to Division Two um, because of the internationals. But and we could go into it later. Obviously, internationals are a big part of the uh, collegiate I think soccer landscape right now, which is another show, but I want to hear, you know, that transition because your last year in the NAIA and I'll let you go into it. You have a fantastic year. We, we really did. Uh, we, we, um, in fact, that year, um, Lynn university hosted it. So they were already in it, but we had to get through the area final after winning the district to go to the nationals and we beat Lynn. Well, it was college of Boca Raton at that time. It, it changed the name later. And we won two zero with that team. I'm talking about with Noel Laguiste up top and Maurice Allaby. And um, we had Tad Mencher from Arizona and um, just, it was, a, it was a, a Louis Smotherman who now is the director of coaching at the Baton Rouge soccer club. And, and Louis was from Phoenix also. So we had a, a really quality team. And so the following year, as we transitioned from NAI to Division um, Two, and then obviously uh, going into the NCA clearinghouse at that point, rules change, you know, the age limitation and that. So yes, things changed a little bit. It became um, a little bit more difficult. So, but we we were able to continue to recruit, you know, players that that were committed to getting their education, quality athletes, good people, and we just kept it going. Um, now. It, we had the following year, an interesting story. We started off the season 10-0. and 0, 
And this one player I had, and I won't mention his name, and it wasn't done purposefully, but um, he came to my office and um, he said, hey, I got to tell you, I, I was a former pro player. He played for FC Kaiserslautern in the first team. Ooh. And so we did a self-report and we forfeited all the games. And um, the NCA, the only sanction they gave us was that um, the forfeits, no other penalties, you know, reduction of scholarship, because this this particular person took responsibility. That was hard on on the team, the players. But we got right back onto it the next year and, and kept building. And, you know, the, the program continued to grow. And and, and, the, and since then, um, the current coach, Lee Squires, who, who uh, took over after me, has done a fantastic job. In fact, this Sunday, they're going to be playing in the uh, Peach Belt Conference final. And if they win with the automatic qualifier, they'll, they'll go to the NCAA tournament. But And he's wow. had a great year. So um, I'm curious. Were you on the committee to help find a new coach? Um, I, I was on that on the committee. Yeah. And um, at that time, we've only had three athletic directors in the 50 years of Lander Athletics. Um, Finest Horn and then Jeff May. And he retired. And now uh, Brian Reese. So uh, Jeff May was the AD at that time. And um, and, and yeah, I had an, an opportunity to, to be a part of that selection. Yeah, Ev, you and I know you know two people, and you don't know where I'm going with this, Ev. But obviously, Hank got his complex, and Van Taylor has a stadium named after him. I don't know if you knew that, Ev. I did know that because that was one of the things that I told Anna Barrera. <laughs> I was like, I said he has a stadium named after him, and you must go see him and tell him that you were a goalkeeper that was one of my goalkeepers, and. And he'll, you know, you'll have an automatic friend. <laughs> so, so hopefully, hopefully she did that. Yeah, well, that's good. So, you know, you, you sort of teased us a little bit, um, and I'm glad you did there because it's a good segue into the Premier Goalkeeping Academy. So, tell us, you know, how that got started, um, who you do it with. Um, I think the listeners will certainly appreciate this story of, uh, you know, who works with you and. Sure. what you guys are doing. And I, I would definitely share with you um, my comment on the fee to attend your uh, four day camp is um, <laughs> in, incredible. In, in, incredible. Um, I, I am blown away on how uh, inexpensive it is. And I got a feeling I know why you and um, Bill, you know, continue to do it, but I, I want you to tell the story of, you know, how it got started and, and what, you know, the aim of it is. Well, Bill and I have been together uh, doing this camp over 30 years. Yeah. And, and let uh, me interrupt something, you know, so talk a little bit about Bill Finney Frock, because I don't think people, you know, know who he was and, you know, you know, how you uh, formed this relationship with him. Well, Bill, Bill began, I first met Bill when he went to Erskine and then Bill transferred to Clemson and he became an All-American at Clemson. So he played a couple of years at Erskine went to uh, Clemson and graduated there. And uh, he went on to play in the NASL and uh, ASL with the Stoners. Uh, he won a, a championship with uh, the Charlotte um, when Rodney Marsh was coaching it. And, and he also, uh, yeah. And uh, that team had Huey O'Neill, had uh, Santiago Formosa, just uh, uh, Pat Fidelia, a number of players there. Um, and um, Bill and I have been friends for a long time and we wanted to do a camp. We only do one week. A lot of people ask us, why aren't you doing multiple weeks? We want to do one week. We limit it to the number of campers. 
And uh, we do it at Erskine because everything there is just, um, it's, it's kind of like Mayberry. Um, you just uh, kind of turn out the lights when you're done kind of thing. They, they, we, we have a lot of flexibility. If the weather's inclement, we can get inside. Um, we have the fields we need. Everything's within walking distance. It's safe. And um, so we've been doing it there for, um, as I say, over 30 years. And uh, we, our dates this year are June 6th, uh, July 16th through the 20th, uh, one week only. We only take 50 goalkeepers. And um, it's a great week. And um, uh, Bill and I just, um, you know, have the passion to work with young goalkeepers. Most of the goalkeepers are um, probably um, 14 to 16. We have a couple younger and older. So it's it, most of the kids are falling into that age group. Um, and we're just passionate about working with young goalkeepers. But um, Bill's a brother of mine. Um, and we've, we've known each other for coming up on 50 years now. Yeah, and now yeah. Bill Bill started a club called Charlotte Soccer Club, and um, and now has his players have moved into the Charlotte. Um, excuse me, he was with Charlotte United, and his players and the club moved in with Charlotte Soccer Club, and so this was maybe three four years ago. So he's kind of gotten out of the directorship, working primarily with goalkeeping. Uh, he's a high school teacher at Providence Day. Um, and he raised three children, two daughters and a son, and, and his wife, Jesse's just recently retired. But um, they, they live in Tiga Cay, which is just south of um, Charlotte, just on the North Carolina, South Carolina, in South Carolina, on the border there. And so, um, you know, he's um, been, a, you know, a, a, an important part of, of, of my goalkeeping in terms of coaching. He's just been, uh, you know, we're just mentoring each other. And as I say, we've been together over 30 years. Yeah, you've produced quite a bit of players who have moved on to the next level. Do you want to share some uh, stories about that? Well, I, I've got a lot of them, and I think Ralph Rondi has more than anybody as far as his former players coaching. And I've got a number of players coaching, you know, in the state, different clubs and what have you. Um, but, yeah, we've had a few players go on to the next level, but, um, um, you know, nobody today to get to the level like MLS, but, you know, more USL, you know, champions, I guess um, – Charleston Battery, that kind of level. Gotcha, yep. gotcha. So talk a little bit about what you're doing now. You say, you know, you started off the uh, show, you're the director of development for the Bearcat Club. What exactly, you know, anytime I hear that, it's usually fundraising or something along that line. So maybe dig deeper what your day-to-day -day routine is when you go to work. Well, when I initially got out of coaching, I actually went into the foundation the Lander Foundation. I wasn't in athletics and I was director of development. And um, that was great experience. Just, you know, that's where you're working with alumni and a donor base and, you know, local businesses and that. And uh, then I was asked to move into athletics and I did. And that's when I became a director of development for athletics. And that's working with our booster club, which is called the Bearcat Club. And that's where you're raising money for, you know, the things I talked about, scholarships and what have you. And then, um, you know, we went from about 250 athletes five years ago, 12 programs, to now we have 21 intercollegiate programs and 750 student athletes. Wow. So, That's you know, that, that puts, you know, a lot more uh, emphasis on facilities and student athlete enhancement. Um, we've, we've just done so much. Um, Brian Reese is our athletic director. He's just done a phenomenal job. And, you know, last year we added uh, women's field hockey. We added men and women's lacrosse. We added men and women's rugby. 
uh, we uh, emerging sports, acro and um, tumbling. Um, so we, and then our traditional men and women's basketball, soccer and, and the like. But um, so we're, we're up to 100, 750 athletes. We're getting ready. Um, we have our athletic giving day coming up on uh, November 29th. And each team develops a platform of what they were trying to raise and working with their donor base. So that's a, the first year um, we raised approximately 42,000. The second year, 68. Last year, 140. And our goal this year is to surpass that. And that's in a 24-hour period. Wow, that's great. And then our big fundraiser, um, our capital campaign, we, we did a program um, called The Drop. And what it is is you sell a golf ball for $100. They're numbered. And it's an event. They come and we have live music, uh, food, adult beverage, what have you. And then these golf balls are loaded on a helicopter. We put a big bullseye outside on the field and they drop. That's the drop. And the closest ball to the pin gets $5,000. Second, $3,000. We gave around seven, um, $1,000. $1, so we gave around $15,000 away. And we raised $80,000 on the day. That's and great. so then COVID came and we had to put that off to the side and we haven't done that for the last couple of years. So um, we're looking at considering doing that or a different type of fundraiser next spring. But uh, so those are the kinds of initiatives I'm involved in. And right now we've got some plans to try to raise some money for uh, turfing our fields because of these sports like field hockey and rugby. And, you know, they, they can put a beating on uh, turf on grass fields and what have you. So, um, it's an exciting time. Uh, our university seven years ago went from about 2,700. We're now at 4,150 students with a goal of getting the 5,000. And with, um, you know, a lot of um, decline in enrollment at other institutions, we're, we're going the other way. And we're just a lot of neat things are happening at the university. So it's, it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah. It, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's amazing, to, staggering to hear some of the uh, numbers you just revealed to us. So, um, wow. Evie, I'm going to give it back to you. Um, okay, well, right uh, I, as, I, as I said, you know, uh, I would tell a little story at the end. And, and um, this, is, I, I, this is sort of my Van Taylor story. But uh, um, in 1973, I guess, or no, maybe it was the spring of 74, you know, Hank was already at Warren Wilson and they were already doing the indoor tournament. And I was up at Bridgeton Academy up in Maine getting another year of soccer because I didn't start playing soccer until I was a sophomore in high school. So I didn't, I needed, I needed more work. Right. And so, you know, Hank says, well, we'll put together a team. You come down, you play on the team. You know, it's a bunch of recruits and, you know, we'll put you in the tournament and see how you do. So great. You know, my dad's a pilot. I can fly for free. So no problem. So I go into the into the gym where, where, where all three of us have been more times than we want to admit. And um, I open the door and I look down at the far end of the gym and there's this goalkeeper who is phenomenal. Okay. And Bone, if you know, if you know, you've heard my story that, you know, I don't think back then there were many goalkeeper coaches around and there certainly weren't any in New Hampshire. So anything that I learned <laughs> was, um, you know, from, from, you know, going to the library and getting books by Bob Wilson on how to be a goalkeeper. And my dad would take me occasionally down to Mexico city to watch pro games. And I'd go watch and go back home to Exeter, New Hampshire and try to do the same thing. 
And I walk into the gym and Van's warming up. And I look down there and I think that guy is as good as any of the pros I've seen in Mexico. I want to be a goalkeeper like that guy. I remember saying that to myself. And, um, and since then, and then, in, you know, playing in four years at Warren Wilson, you know, had a great time. Still kind of self-taught because back then, again, there weren't that many goalkeeper coaches around. Uh, and then when I got into the ASL, uh, you know, Van was playing at New York Eagles and I was playing at the Apollo. And then when he was with Columbus, you know, uh, and, and Van and Beth had Marsha and myself over to dinner when he was with the Eagles. And I mean, just kind of, and then, as I said before, he, he enabled me to, to go train with God for a week. And I mean, just, you know, and he didn't, you know, and, and he didn't really have to do any of this stuff. I didn't go to Erskine. I was just a kid that, you know, played, played at a, at a rival school, but he was gracious enough to, to, to kind of take me under his wing and say, and, and help me in any way that he could. And I've never forgotten that. And I've always, you know, I guess, you know, I've always tried to do the same thing for, for aspiring young goalkeepers because, you know, it's the old Hank story, you know, go help some kid that, you know, you know, I went, when I finished playing, I said, Hank, what can I do to repay you? He says, teach some other kid, teach you, take a kid under your wing and teach him. Van did that for me. And I've kind of taken that, that uh, example and, and tried to do it through my career of coaching. And um, the guy is just, you know, as I said, when we started, you know, it's easy to throw the, the word legend around describing people, but truly, He's not only a legendary goalkeeper, he's a legendary coach, and he's a le more importantly, he's a legendary mm -hmm. person in my book. And, and um, uh, I am forever grateful for having the opportunity, you know, that God put our paths, you know, uh, next to each other or crossing so that we, so that I got to spend some, t some time with him, although, you know, far too short. But believe me, Van, the time that I spent with you, I was watching everything you did and trying to emulate it and uh, never could quite get there. But, you know, it was worth the journey. So yeah. so thank you for that. Well, thank you for the kind words. And that's why we're part of the goalkeeper union. That's right. That's, that's right. right. So. So, OK, well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been three old goalies late night with the legendary Van Taylor and uh, Bone. I don't there's not much else. You know, to say I, again, Van, thank you very much for taking the time to to join us. Uh, please give my best to Beth, and please tell Anna I'm sorry she broke her ankle, but you know that happens sometimes, and and give her my best as well. Well, thank you guys for the opportunity. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed the uh, chance to to visit with you tonight. Yeah, I, I I hope I hit a lot of the the highlights that you wanted to discuss. I thought the stories were remarkable, and I'm I'm really really. I really enjoyed listening, especially to the Pele stories and back then in that era, because, you know, that's where, you know, a lot of people don't remember, you know, the history of the game at that time. Yeah. Again, it was a privilege to be able to play uh, in the North American Soccer League and play at that level. And, uh, you know, I think it's it, you think about all the coaches I had, you know, Greg Myers, Ron Newman in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Dragon Shekeladis in New York. We had um, Paul Taylor and and Keith Peacock, who is still in the game. Keith is uh, with um, uh, Charlton Athletic. You know, he morphed into I think maybe like a general manager position, and he he's he's still with the club today. Um, and then you look at Kenny Cooper with Baltimore, and um, you know the, uh, I had Tony Samoyes, who played with um, yeah. Benfica, yeah. played in the '66 World Cup for uh, Portugal. He coached me out in Phoenix. 
Um, so, you know, I had some great coaches and I took a little bit, as we all do, from all the coaches we had, including my college coach, including my high school coach. And you just get those little pieces. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful. And soccer really teaches you life lessons. And it's helped me in administration. It's helped me in coaching. Um, and, you know, all about leadership and decision making and all that. So I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity to have played, uh, you know, at that level. And for that long, I'm real thankful for it. Yeah, well, thank thank you for sharing the stories. And and uh, next time you see Bill, give give Bill my best. I haven't, I haven't seen Bill, well, because of COVID and stuff. We haven't seen each other at the convention. I usually see him at the conventions, but um, please give him my I'll best. I'll do it. So I'll do it. I'll talk to him this week. All right, great. All right. Again. Thanks, Guy. Thank you, Van. Very much appreciate it. All right, cheers. Good night. Thank you. Thank you for watching and listening to the Three Old Goalies podcast. We will catch you on the next show. Thanks again to our guest, Van Taylor. I'm Ryan Sparks. We will see you next time.